Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, everyone, I hope that you are doing well out there in the ether, all over the world, wherever you are. I hope that you're enjoying yourself and you're having as good of a day as you possibly can. I know the world's been a bit hectic around us. And so on that note, I've just got a few things to cover over. And then we will get into an episode of the News of the Dam for you. So first and foremost, the whole issue with the Ukraine and Russia. Okay, first and foremost, I didn't think that Vladimir Putin would invade the Ukraine en masse. I really thought that what might happen is that he might take Donbass and the other uh, disputed region that I can't think of off the top of my head that asked for Russian intervention. Now, the one thing that I will say about this whole thing is that I would advise you to make sure that you're doing your own looking into this matter versus what ma mainstream media and every influencer on Instagram and Facebook is telling you to do. Now, I am not saying that what Vladimir Putin is doing is a good thing. I do not condone invasions of other countries, including from the U.S. So what I'm saying is if I don't condone it from the U.S., I damn sure am not going to condone it from Vladimir Putin. Now, I am definitely not a geopolitical expert, and it is a very messy situation. It's a situation with a lot of emotion, and, and it impacts a large amount of the world, especially Europe. All I'm saying is that neither side on a issue like this is necessarily 100% reliable. Do I believe that this is a special military action by the Russians? who are only trying to look after the poor people in the eastern part of Ukraine that have been purportedly killed and uh, held under the thumb of the Ukrainian government? No, I don't believe that's 100% true. But neither do I 100% believe that the Ukrainian army has killed 10,000 Russian soldiers and that the Russians purposefully fired artillery at a nuclear reactor when, again, as they found out, it only hit a training building. Yes, it was in the nuclear reactor complex. So all I'm saying, folks, is that oftentimes, especially when war is involved, it's not cut and dried. It's not clear what's going on. So again, I just implore you to do your own research and look into this because this is a major, major point in time in history. This could lead to World War III. That's not a lie, and that's not an exaggeration. I 100% believe that it could very well happen. Things like this tend to smolder and break into larger conflicts. And if somebody takes a misstep and fires their weapons in the wrong direction or the wrong people are on the wrong side of the border, we could very well end up in a World War III scenario. You have got the countries like Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, Romania, all of those countries... The United States is bound by treaty to defend as part of NATO. Then you've also got what's going on with Taiwan and China. The United States is also bound by legislation to defend Taiwan. So what I'm saying is we are very, very close to potentially having a much larger conflict than what we've got going on right now. So it's something that you should definitely be aware of. 
beyond the fact that it's causing your food prices to increase, it's causing your fuel prices to increase at the pump. Now, there are things that I do believe are directly influenced by this, but when everybody's saying, oh, well, all these prices are going up because of Putin, well, yes, some of them they are, but let's remember that inflation was going like a rampaging bull before Putin got close to invading Ukraine, okay? So it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And as is so often the case, it's not cut and dry. As much as certain governments of the world want there to be a boogeyman on either side of a conflict, it's not always the case. And it's not always the case that if you get rid of this person or that person, everything will be hunky-dory and we'll all be singing kumbaya around the campfire. Doesn't work that way, folks. Uh, I'm just thinking about it. This is what they said about Hitler. And then after Hitler, here we go with the Cold War. And that's what they said about the evil empire, the USSR. Let's get that evil empire. Let's let's break down that wall, you know. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. So they did. Wasn't long after that. Here we go. War in the former Yugoslavia. War in the Middle East. War in Afghanistan. War in Iraq. War, 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 war. And why? Because war makes money at the end of the day. The people who own the companies like Halliburton and Lockheed Martin and Boeing and all those big companies, they all make money off of it. And guess what? Your elected officials, whether it be in the U.S. or in other countries, they're making a hell of a lot of money off of war as well. It's always been the game. It's always been that way. Way back before there was an America, way back before there was a European Union or many of the countries in Europe, it's been going on for thousands of years. People will always line their pockets at the expense of others if they can get away with it. It's been going on since before the Romans and Greeks and the Egyptians. It's been going on as long as there's been humanity, as far as I'm concerned. So I just wanted to say that, and I wanted to be 100% clear in case anyone has misunderstood the words that I've said in the past. I'm not saying that Vladimir Putin is a Boy Scout. But neither do I believe that Vladimir Putin is the epitome of the Antichrist. I just don't believe that the vast majority of humanity fall into this side of the wall or that side of the wall, depending on who you follow or who your leadership tells you to believe. Yeah, just bear in mind, do your own research. Again, obviously for many of the listeners, Vladimir Putin is against the hegemony of the United States and the basic fact that the United States has been the sole real superpower since the end of the Cold War. I mean, yes, Russia and China are very powerful, but Russia and China can't challenge the United States around the world on a military level or on an economic level. China has started to in the last 10 years or so. But what I'm getting at is the fact that these leaders want their countries to be powerful is what you would expect. If the United States was in the number two or three position, that's exactly what politicians in the United States would be saying. We need to be number one. There are very few countries in history that are in that top mix, say top 10, that don't want to be the top dog. That is how nation building and empires and all the rest work. It's been that way since the dawn of time since the beginning of humanity, and I have a fair feeling it'll be going on long after I'm dead and buried.
So we've got that out of the way. I made it very clear that I am against the invasion of the Ukraine. No, I am not an apologist for the evil Russian Empire. I just don't see things as cut and dry as many people do. I just don't believe the BS that's crammed down our throat by mainstream media and Western governments that we're the good guys and everyone else is the bad guys. I see things in many more shades of gray than that. I have for a long time. I've been very cynical of the fact that there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. No, there are many shades of gray. And good, the quote-unquote good guys oftentimes do things just as horrific as any bad guy. You know, for example, oh, we don't want those Iranians, we don't want these rogue nations getting a hold of nuclear weapons or biological weapons. Only we can have them. Well, yeah, you know, that's kind of like, it's kind of like the adults telling the children, it's fine for us to drink. We never get in trouble. We never cause any issues with our drinking. But for you that are underage, oh, it's different. You guys are just, you know, you'll ruin yourselves. You'll, you'll get into all kinds of mischief. Now, I'm not saying that underage drinking is a great thing. I partook in it. I've never lied about it. But what I'm saying is adults cause just as many, if not more, issues with their drinking. And uh, yeah, same like this. Do I want every country in the world to have nukes? Hell no. I want no countries in the world to have nukes. As far as I'm concerned, nuclear weapons are an abomination. They always have been. And you can argue about MAD and everything else. And I get it. I, look, I fully get it. I tell you all the time. I don't know everything far from it. If you want me to give you a worldview and follow it, yeah, I got news for you. Not the best idea. I'm like everyone. I've got plenty of flaws and I make many mistakes. But to me, things like nuclear weapons, biological weapons, all abominations and should have been destroyed long, long ago. And to me, it's a crock of shit that countries act like, oh, it's fine for us to have them as long as that evil country over there doesn't have them. No, no one should have any of this crap. All right. That's just my humble opinion and my two cents. So now that's out of the way. We've talked about Ukraine. That's all we're going to talk about Ukraine this week. And another thing I just wanted to say, Max in Illinois, young Max, happy birthday. I'm very proud of you, young man. Your father and mother are very proud of you. And I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, I hope you have the absolute best birthday that you can. Much love to you, my friend, and stay safe and take care out there. And enjoy your birthday. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is, thanks for everyone who's checked in on me while I've been in a bit of a funk. Thanks so much. John in Western Australia reached out to me last night, checked up on me, and just told me, don't let the world get me down. And I do appreciate it. Harry and Lisa in North Carolina have checked in on me, as they always do. Eddie and his family in California and then, of course, chapter president in Oregon, Trey. You've checked in on me, Trey, many times over this semi-hiatus. I don't know what to call it. And thanks, Trey, for checking in on me. And, of course, Mark in San Antonio as well. Adriana and Nico in San Antonio. And everyone else out there, Tua Day in India. So Tua Day and Trey have sent me some awesome articles for this episode of the News of the Damned. And I'm going to read them for you very shortly. But first, and no, folks, no, it's not a commercial. I know oftentimes you hear that. But first, a word from our sponsors. No, we have no sponsors here at the Paranormal Sun as of now, and that's fine. That is absolutely fine. It is what it is, and we will continue to live and 
move forward with the paranormal son. No, I've never found that Russian oligarch. And in this day and age, probably having a Russian oligarch supporting the show would probably not be the best look. So, uh, yeah, I joke about it. I've joked about it many times. And I'm sure there's probably a few people out there that get a bit wrinkled over it. But the reality was all of that was before the Ukrainian invasion. And my understanding is many of the oligarchs are against that invasion anyway. That's what the uh, word on the street, so to speak, coming out of Moscow is. And that a lot of those oligarchs are basically trying to relocate to other countries because they're being impacted by these sanctions, as you would expect, having so much money and investments around the world. But I do digress. So what I wanted to say is I just wanted to tell those of you who may be new to the show about the whole story behind the news of the damned. So there was a gentleman back in the early 1900s, and his name was Charles Fort. Now, Charles Fort was interested in so many of the things that we are all interested in, be they cryptids, sea serpents, lights in the sky, strange things falling from the sky, missing people, people that vanish in broad daylight, out-of-place artifacts. So Charles Fort, being like us, and before the days of the internet, he gathered 40, 50, 60, thousand plus index cards from periodicals and newspapers all over the world and he wrote these stories on them and then he later wrote a series of four different books and Charles Fort referred to anything that was ignored or excluded by science as damn data therefore every time we do this segment on the paranormal sun it's known as the news, the news of the, the, the damn Right, so like I say, I'm the first to admit, folks, I haven't been really out there looking for a lot of stuff recently, so it's been great to have some of our valued listeners and chapter presidents especially send us some of this that they're finding out there on the internet. So the first one is something very interesting to me. You know I've already covered a little bit about this on the program before, and this came from Tua Day, our chapter president in India, so thank you very much, Tua Day. And after this article, I found another one on Vice that I've added as well because it looked pretty awesome as well. So thank you very much to a day for sending this to me. So as you would have already heard, this has come from Vice. So that's uh, vice.com. And there's a link in the show notes, as always, if you want to check out any of these articles. So if you just go in the show notes and click on the links, it'll take you straight to the website and you can read it yourself if you'd like to so this one says here are 20 years of ufo sightings we got from the canadian government vice world news obtained nearly 300 pages of documents through freedom of information requests that include strange sightings from pilots soldiers and police officers the canadian government has released 20 years of ufo reports the 500-plus report, spanning nearly 300 pages, contains dozens of strange sightings from commercial pilots, soldiers, and police officers. And then they've got a link here that says here are some of the highlights. So what I'll do, folks, I'm just going to add that and we'll get to that next. So it says, obtained by Vice World News through Canadian Freedom of Information Laws. 
The reports were made to federal transportation authorities as recently as last year, when a Canadian military flight spotted a bright green flying object that flew into a cloud, then disappeared over eastern Canada. So, when is last year? So the article is from the 2nd of March, 2022, and is by Daniel Otis, so I apologize for skipping past that. So, last year would have been 2021. Other unusual observations include Newfoundland police tracking two brightly colored flying objects, in August 2001 and a December 2018 passenger jet from Alaska to Seattle that reported pulsating lights descending from 60,000 feet. Now, Newfoundland police. Hmm, where have we heard Newfoundland police involved in a UFO case? Oh yeah, Shag Harbor. Go back and check that one out if you haven't already. It'll be either season two or season three, the season premiere, Shag Harbor. Right. So it says here, I would be inclined categorically to believe anybody that reported something. Former Canadian pilot John Jock Williams told Vice World News, there's no upside of making a, fo a fake report. 100% true, especially when your career is on the line. Because you go getting known as the UFO guy when you're a commercial pilot, especially, or a police officer, and people start looking at you sideways, and I could just about guarantee your career is DOA. Williams is an aviation consultant who has also worked as a federal flight safety officer. There's a de definite reluctance to report stuff, he said. I'm amazed at the amount of material they sent you, and some of it actually is pretty good. And then again, uh, here you've got a downloadable PDF at the bottom. It's got all 290 pages of reports. So, hey, folks, looks like we're going to throw that in with the CIA files and start covering that as well. So it says there are loads of civilian sightings, too, such as a large glowing object seen hovering quite quickly back and forth just above the tree line near Petersboro, Ontario, in January 2011. One uncommonly long report even details a sighting that was confirmed by military radar. On the night of December 23, 2018, in the Bay of Fundy, and a woman at home in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. So yeah, uh, again, same rough area as Shag Harbor, Yarmouth. Both uh, contacted a search and rescue center to report a light that was yellowish, steady, and hovering high above the Atlantic Ocean. When RCAF, uh, which is the Royal Canadian Air Force, personnel reviewed radar data from NORAD, the Joint Canada-U.S. Canada Air Defense Alliance, they observed three primary radar hits that correlated almost exactly to the time and location of the sighting. This is an area that has good low-level radar coverage, so there is no explanation of why there were only three points, all at exactly 12,800 feet, with no points leading up to or continuing on at any other altitudes, a Canadian air defense sector report states. The best guess was independent radar hits on weather and not an actual airborne object, even though the No Threat report notes it was a partly cloudy night with good visibility. Less than an hour's drive from Yarmouth, the nearby fishing village of Shag Harbor, here we go folks, Nova Scotia was the site of a famous 1967 mass sighting of a large luminous object that disappeared into the ocean. Yep, and it's one of the most famous, definitely in Canada, but one of the most famous North American UFO sightings that the average person 
probably hasn't heard about, if that makes any sense. The reports also include previously unpublished documents on Canadian UFO bases covered in earlier Vice World News stories, like Alberta air traffic controllers who spotted a solid bright light that appeared too fast to be any commercial aircraft in December of 2009. A Manitoba police officer who filmed an unidentified bright yellow and orange light with their cruiser's dash cam in April of 2011, and an April 2018 cargo flight from New York to Alaska that reported an object flying sporadically and moving at Mach 4 over northern Canada. Now, Mach 4 is pretty damn fast, my friends. You're moving when you're going Mach 4. Vice World News acquired the documents last month via two separate access to information requests that were filed in April and September with Transport Canada, the government department that oversees aviation. Most were forwarded to Transport Canada by the private company Nav Canada, which owns and operates the country's civilian air traffic control infrastructure. The releases also feature nearly two dozen reports sent in by the Canadian military. Many, but not all, were later edited and published on Transport Canada's online aviation incident database. Together, the two releases are meant to capture all CIRVIS reports held by Transport Canada that were created over the past two decades, short for Communication Instructions for Reporting Vital Intelligence Sightings. On April 2021, Vice World News story showed how versions of this Cold War-era threat reporting procedure are still used by the Canadian Air Traffic Controllers and the RCAF to document credible UFO sightings. In a statement to Vice World News, Transport Canada described CIRVIS reports as a U.S. government instrument that usually fall outside of the scope of Transport Canada's mandate. CIRVIS reports are infrequently reported to Transport Canada as the reports received are a result of natural phenomena such as fireballs, weather balloons, and meteors, a spokesperson said. Yep, it's always what it is. Canada's military isn't as dismissive, but also generally considers UFOs to be outside their purview. The Canadian Armed Forces and Royal Canadian Air Force do not typically investigate sightings of unknown or unexplained phenomena outside the context of investigating credible threats, potential threats, or potential distress in the case of search and rescue, a spokesperson told Vice World News. In the U.S. government-funded UFO research programs have existed almost continuously since 2007, and I'd say a lot longer than that if uh, I had my say, the public got a glimpse of those efforts last June when intelligence officers released a fascinating report on recent UFO military sightings, which have included objects that appeared to maneuver abruptly or move at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. Signed by President Joe Biden in late December, the 2022 U.S. Defense Spending Bill even contains a provision to create a new UFO office. Yet, yeah, let's see if that happens. For more than two decades, the closest thing Canada had to an official UFO office was civilian researcher Chris Rutkowski. Again, that name sounds familiar, doesn't it, folks? For those of you that have heard the Shag Harbor episode, Rutkowski received many of the reports contained in the two releases directly from transportation or military officials, often soon after the sightings. A handful of Canadian military UFO reports forms even include instructions to fax copies to Rutkowski, the Winnipeg-based ufologist's quiet relationship with Canadian authorities appears to have ended without warning in mid-2021. 
I've noticed an abrupt halt to my receiving of UFO reports through the Department of National Defense and Transport Canada, Rutkowski told Vice World News. UFOs may now be getting more attention from the government, which is ostensibly a good thing, but as a consequence, the subject will be much less open to public scrutiny. Yeah, most definitely. And who knows, maybe Big Brother down south told them, hey, uh, we really don't like you giving things like this out to private citizens, so why don't you just keep it under wraps? That's just my conjecture here. While Rutkowski featured data from many of the reports in his annual Canadian UFO survey, which has documented more than 22,000 UFO sightings since 1989, the reports themselves, especially those from the last decade, have largely not been made public. I needed to respect the confidential nature of such reports while at the same time requiring information for research on the topic, Rutkowski said. I do not believe that there has been a release like this previously. There is some overlap between the two releases, which total 290 pages. The reports also include what are clearly drone, meteor, balloon, and satellite sightings. And again, folks, I'm on the record as saying that I personally believe somewhere between 95 and 98% of everything that's sighted and considered a UFO by the observer tends to be things that can be explained with an earthly explanation or things like meteors, satellites, space junk, etc. So I'm not at all surprised by that. So it says, like a December 2019 Air Canada Express flight that reported 40-inch lights in the sky traveling in groups of 15 or sorry, so 40 lights in the sky, it's the parentheses that have thrown me off, 40 lights in the sky traveling in groups of 15, which was very likely a then relatively uncommon constellation of SpaceX Starlink Internet satellites. Others others almost seem psychedelic, like a St. Wahlberg, Saskatchewan resident who notified an Air Force base in October 2020 of a thousand of... Thousands of diamond-shaped objects passing overhead at a very high rate of speed. But the releases also contain dozens of reports that underscore the simple fact that credible witnesses like pilots, soldiers, and cops see things in the sky they can't identify. In other words, the evidence says UFOs exist. The real question is, what are they? Well, yeah, that's the same question we've all had probably since the first time we heard about a UFO. I have no theory to tell you the truth, says Williams the former RCAF pilot and Transport Canada safety officer, but I have no reason to doubt anybody that's putting a report in of that sort. Because again, talking about it to your buddies back at the bar after you've had your flights, and actually going out and filing an official report that's going to be filed away by the government and is going to have your name on it forever and ever are two very different things, my friends. So, what are my thoughts? Yep, I'm always interested to see what different countries have in the way of files and how they investigate things. Again, me personally, uh, Canada and the U.S.'s defense apparatus are so tied together. I'm very hesitant to believe that we're ever going to get anything out of Canada that we wouldn't get out of the U.S. uh, as far as official, on-the-record disclosure type stuff. So anyway, I will save that link, and we will look at those pdfs in a future episode most definitely so on the whole i don't believe we'll see a lot come out of canada 
that we don't see come out of the U.S., here is your second article that I found on Vice.com. And this one says, Credible UFO reports are being ignored. Declassified Canadian government documents reveal. Well, what do you know? Unlike in the U.S., UFO reports in Canada pretty much get shit-canned. Declassified files obtained by Motherboard Show. And this is by Daniel Otis, and it's from the 30th of November, 2021. Just after midnight on September 20th, 2016, a Royal Canadian Air Force squadron in Ontario received a call from Vancouver air traffic controllers about a vital intelligence sighting approximately 20 minutes earlier, an Air Canada Express pilot flying to the city reported. Three red lights, 3,000 feet above him and going slower, while 25,000 feet over an uninhabited stretch of British Columbia's rugged north coast. According to declassified documents acquired by Motherboard, the RCAF reviewed data, radar data, but found nothing near the plane. Within an hour, reports had been faxed to the Canadian government's Transportation Department and the Air Force's Secretive Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Division in Winnipeg. There appears to have been no further follow-up. Hmm. Interesting that, eh? No follow-up. I don't dispute they saw the strange light, aviation consultant and former RCAF fighter pilot John Jock Williams told Motherboard, referred to him in the last article. And it may or may not have been of strange origin. Who knows? But all I know is I'm not impressed with the level of investigation, and I would agree with that. Through Canada's Access to Information Act, which is like the FOIA request in the U.S., Freedom of Information Act, Motherboard has obtained multiple daily log files from the Canadian Air Defence Sector, or CADS, which is responsible for identifying and monitoring air traffic approaching North America under NORAD, the joint Canada-U.S. Defence Group. Once classified secret, the digital logbook entries detail CADS day-to-day -day operations and confirm that while the Canadian Air Force documents UFO sightings, it generally does little with the reports. Yeah, hmm, starting to sense a bit of a theme there. You have evidence of the fact that they're aware of this kind of stuff. At the same time, you have the evidence of the fact that nothing is happening. Williams, who spent 36 years in the Canadian forces, said, Folks, I've been working a very long time. Not 36 years, um, and not in any kind of military force. So 36 years in the Canadian forces as a paid employee, that's saying that this guy is no dum-dum. These guys are getting paid one way or the other. They might as well be investigating. Fully agree. CADS's nerve center is the RCAF's 21st Aerospace Control and Warning Squadron, which is located at CFB North Bay, a military base in northeastern Ontario. Vice previously showed how 21 Squadron is alerted by air traffic controllers when the private company Nav Canada, when professional pilots spot UFOs over the country. Personnel at the base even had their own UFO sightings in 2007 and 1952. In many cases, the declassified CADS logs are so heavily redacted, it's impossible to know if or how they responded. On the night of April 15, 2016, for instance, CADS was notified of a WestJet flight near Toronto that reported a very bright light pass overhead of them, when there was no other traffic in the area. In the day's log, the lines following what's clearly referred to as a UFO report are all redacted in white. Now, what do you know? 
On occasion, the logs reveal more details on UFO reports found in the Canadian government's online aviation incident database. A public report from November the 7th, 2018, for example, describes a cargo jet flight above the Cincinnati area to Calgary, observing bright lights, high above Saskatchewan, while a corresponding CADS log entry describes bright shining lights that were maneuvering and moving fast. The daily logs also demonstrate how quickly the Canadian Air Force can be alerted to pilot sightings. On December the 18th, 2016, it appears CADS was notified by Edmonton air traffic controllers within minutes of a Qatar Airways flight to Los Angeles reporting a UFO in broad daylight over western Alberta. Uh, that's probably Cotter, but uh, when I was growing up, we always said Qatar, so uh, apologies. In one instance, the logs even show how Air Force assets can be deployed to investigate unknowns. On the morning of 21st November 2018, CADS detected an unidentified radar target approaching North America from the direction of Greenland. Canadian CF-18 fighter jets were soon launched from CFB Bagotville in Quebec to locate the unknown track, but found nothing. A declassified report from the following day blamed the spurious data on equipment issues at a NORAD radar installation on Canada's North Atlantic coast. Williams, who has logged more than 13,000 hours flying military and civilian aircraft. 13,000 hours, folks. Um, hmm. I don't know quite what that works out to, but I can tell you that the average working week for someone here in New Zealand is about 2,000 hours a year. So that's about seven years of going to work every day and just flying for your living, like no time underground, anything else. That's a lot of hours. So anyway, 13,000 hours flying time, military and civilian aircraft. He believes NORAD's extensive radar coverage makes this explanation possible, but extremely unlikely. And again, I would concur. For one radar station to generate a false track is very unlikely. Radar just doesn't work like that, he said. Virtually do you never have only one source of radar data. Fully agree in this day and age. In a statement to Motherboard, an RCAF Canadian NORAD spokesperson acknowledged RCAF aircraft were launched that day to investigate something that was later deemed a false positive. Yeah, we've heard that a lot lately, haven't we? This can happen for a number of reasons, from meteorological conditions to flocks of birds, and it's not that unusual, they explained. It is important to remember that unknown tracks on radar are precisely that unknown. Later that day, CADS received a UFO report from Edmonton air traffic controllers about three red lights in the sky, hovering at the approximate height of a cell phone tower near High Prairie, Alberta. This time, CADS seemed to respond as usual by notifying Canadian NORAD headquarters in Winnipeg and Transport Canada, the Federal Transportation Department. Reports of unidentified objects can rarely be followed up on as they are, as the title implies, unidentified, a Transport Canadian spokesperson told Vice in April. Well, yeah, no shit. These reports are monitored for any inherent risk to aviation safety and security, but they usually fall outside the scope of Transport Canada's mandate. Yeah, I'll give you my thoughts on that at the end. A defense spokesperson also previously explained that while Canada's military does not typically investigate sightings of unknown or unexplained phenomena outside the context of investigating credible threats, potential threats, or potential distress in the case of search and rescue, 
it has shared information from reports with our NORAD colleagues in the U.S. Yeah, again, no shock there at all. Federally funded efforts to study UFOs have existed in the U.S. almost continually since 2007. And like I say, much much longer before that, I am sure, just off the books. Uh, okay, and they're just kind of rehashing what we talked about. Uh, meanwhile, in Canada, credible UFO reports pretty much get shit-canned, says Williams, who also spent 13 years working for Transport Canada as a flight safety officer. I mean, somebody throws it out. Nobody cares, Williams said. I don't see any evidence that there's any kind of in-depth look being taken to any of this kind of stuff, which means that nobody attaches any importance to it. Okay. So, if they're not interested, why aren't they interested? There's only a few reasons that that can be, in my humble opinion. One, they know what it is. Two, they've been told, don't worry about it, it's ours, secret craft, whatever. Or three, they're just dumb. Because if you've got unidentified objects flying in your airspace and you are a first world country that is part of, well, I'm pretty sure Canada's part of NATO, I'm not sure, but it's definitely got defense uh, agreements with the U.S., you are the front line for any incoming missiles from Russia, pretty much. They're going to come over the North Pole. So you damn well better be concerned about things that are in your airspace. Yeah, it's just like the FAA in the U.S. saying, oh, well, we looked into it, but we weren't too concerned. Absolute bullshit. Either they are saying that publicly and in the background they're investigating it, or there is another entity that they're passing this stuff onto to do said investigation. It is ridiculous. In 2022, in the middle of a ramp-up to a potential World War III, that they just don't care and they can't be bothered to look into this stuff. It's just BS. I'm sorry. Again, maybe they already know what it is. Maybe they've been told, or maybe they've been told, you tell the press and you tell the public, this is all nothing to worry about, and you pass it on to group X or group Y, whatever the group is, okay? But yeah, um, pretty damn ridiculous if that is the case, that they're just throwing away these reports and saying, oh, nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to worry. Don't know why they were going Mach 4, you know, because that's, you know, that uh, it could be a Cessna or, or a weather balloon or maybe a Mylar kite. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe the planet Venus was going Mach 4. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, folks. You know, I get pretty disenfranchised when I read crap like this, but um, it does seem to be the norm, at least on the top level, as far as what they tell us publicly. All right, so now I've got several articles from Trey, our great chapter president in Oregon. Thank you, Trey, for sending these through to me. The first one hits very close to home, quite literally for JT. And this one is from September 1st, 2021. I think I may have covered it in the past, but I can't remember. So I'm going to cover it. And um, as always, folks, I just read it live. So if it's something that I've covered before, we'll find out as I read through. Muscular Bigfoot, and Bigfoot is in italics, caught on camera in Idaho. Footage has emerged online showing a large bipedal ape-like creature. Or is it a man in a suit? We've seen a fair number of videos over the years purporting to show evidence of Bigfoot, a large ape-like hominid creature that is arguably the world's most ubiquitous cryptid. Ever since the infamous Patterson-Gimlin footage, however, 
it has been difficult to know whether a lot of these recordings are of genuine animals or of someone mucking around in a costume. This latest example comes courtesy of YouTube channel NVTV, which presents the clip, which lasts only a few seconds, as an incredible muscular giant-sized Sasquatch filmed in Idaho. Very little is actually known about the video or where it came from, and there doesn't seem to be an explanation of why the person who recorded it stopped filming after such a short period of time. The video caption notes that the level of detail present in the quote-unquote suit makes it unlikely to be a hoax. However, without additional background information, it's impossible to say what's going on. You can check out the video below for yourself. So, yeah, I'm going to just watch this video because it is apparently a few seconds. And this particular video, it's 10 minutes, so I would say they're probably giving um, commentary on it. But it is, but it does say it's just a few seconds. Um, and then I'll tell you what I think. Just waiting for this little preamble to get over with. Uh, watching the clip. Uh, detail in the suit. Something you cannot buy online. Video looks very real. And you can even make out the heavy build and all the muscles, which are hard to replicate using a fake suit. Okay, this creature, for lack of a better term, is just basically taking, it looks like, two steps. I uh, don't know why the video is only showing that, because... It is basically in the crosshairs of this camera. So if this is the real McCoy, if this is Bigfoot, and I was filming it, I don't know why I would stop. Um, the creature doesn't look at the camera operator or doesn't look to be threatening it or anything else. It is pretty damn close, so I would say that maybe they just got spooked. But yeah, it's very compelling, this footage. And it's definitely something I would check out if you're into Bigfoot. John in Western Australia, I'd go and watch this video. Maybe you've already seen it before. It's short. But yeah, it is looking pretty pretty close. Which to me, um, I'm not going to say it's a hoax. I don't want to say it's a hoax. I do hope it's genuine. I hope it's legitimate. But from everything I've heard from people who have encountered sasquatch type creatures in the forests of the world be they in the u.s or canada or the yaoi in australia or people in europe or asia these creatures are highly attuned to their environment they tend to hear things smell things and see things that you or i may not pick up kind of like how your dog will start barking before someone pulls in your drive before they've even gotten in there a bit like that so what i'm saying is I don't know why this creature would not notice the person filming them, if indeed this is a Bigfoot. But look, whatever it is, it's... I will definitely put it in the plausible basket, as far as I'm concerned. Now, maybe something's come out since then, and maybe somebody's going to have a good laugh and say, Oh, ha, 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 that one was proven fake, John. Oh, yeah, see, you don't know what you're talking about, but that's it. I never say I've got the scoop, or I know for a fact. Because I wasn't there, I didn't see it. But it is interesting, and this one is from unexplainedmysteries.com, so I apologize I didn't mention that sooner. And again, there's the video is embedded in the webpage, so again, you can just go in the show notes and click on the link Muscular Bigfoot Caught on Camera in Idaho. Thanks, Trey. Good one there. Rightio, so next one here, this is also from Trey. In fact, uh, pretty much all of these are from Trey, so thank you, Trey, for your due diligence and hard work. 
Worry leaders used hallucinogen to keep followers loyal 1,200 years ago, archaeologists say. Uh, this says it was published 24 days ago, so kind of the first week of Feb, I'd say. Somewhere in there. Uh, researchers found the psychoactive substance in a Peruvian town. And this is from Live Science. And this is from Owen Jarrus. The worry leaders of twelve hundred year of of a twelve hundred year old town now called Quil Quil Cup Cup Umpa Quil Cup Umpa may have used their access to the psychoactive substance Vilca to help keep their people loyal. A team of archaeologists says recent excavations at the center of Quil Quil Cup Cup Umpa. A site in southern Peru, and anyone in Peru, you're probably having a good laugh right now, me trying to pronounce this, revealed 16 Vilca seeds alongside the remains of a drink made from fermented fruit the scientists refer to as chicha de mole. Now see, I know how to say that. The archaeologists found the seeds and drink in an area of the site that contains buildings that were likely used for feasting. The team of researchers wrote in a paper published January 12th in the journal Antiquity. The people who lived in Q, I'm just going to call it Q instead of fumbling over it every time, were part of the Wari or Huari culture that flourished between roughly AD 500 and AD 1000. They did not use a writing system, and so there are no written records describing them. While images depicting Vilca have been found at other Wari sites, this is the first time that the Vilca seeds have been found at a Wari site. Vilca is a psychoactive substance, and see folks, I've never heard of Vilca that can induce hallucinations. When it is served with chica de mole, vilca can be even more potent than on its own, the researcher said. Compounds in the drink called monoterpene, hydrocarbons, and beta-carbolines would have heightened the psychotropic effects of vilca, the researchers wrote in the Antiquity article. By mixing vilca in the drink, the Wari people would have experienced hallucinations that they would have likely considered a spiritual experience. Almost certainly it would have been a spiritual experience, study co-author Justin Jennings, a curator of New World Archaeology at the Royal Ontario Museum, told Live Science in an email. He noted that at other Wari sites, drawings depicting Vilca are associated with the gods. Getting the Vilca seeds would have been challenging for those living at Kew. These Vilca seeds would have been collected from tropical woodlands on or near the eastern flanks of the Andes. The long-distance trade networks would have been required to bring them to Q, the researchers wrote in the Antiquity paper. The leaders of the community would have been able to access Vilca and likely use this ability to help win over the loyalty of members of the community. It was an important part of creating social bonds between Wari hosts and local guests. The locals would have been invited to Wari feasts and would have become indebted to the hosts. Study co-author Matthew uh, Bewer a visiting assistant professor of anthropology and archaeology at Dickinson College in Pennsylvania told Live Science in an email. The Vilca-infused brew brought people together in a shared psychotropic experience, while ensuring the privileged position of Wari leaders within the social hierarchy as the providers of the hallucinogen, the researchers wrote in the Antiquity article. Researchers at Q, research at Q is ongoing. The researchers plan to conduct stable isotope analysis to determine the precise source of the Vilca, allowing researchers to better understand the trade routes used to bring it to the site. The analysis measures the radio of different ratio of different isotopes, versions of a chemical element in the seeds. 
If they can find the areas that have plants with similar isotope ratios, they can better determine where exactly they came from. Yeah, folks, it's really amazing what science can do now as far as finding where certain metal was mined or where certain plants were grown. It's really come a long way, and it is very, very interesting. So, uh, yeah, it, it's something else. And I've come to the world, different shamanistic groups and other groups just looking to hold power in the past, probably dosed up their uh audience with things like this i mean no different than uh, getting people drunk or getting people high and then uh then giving them the old sermon so i'm not surprised by that and again thank you trey for that one that's another very interesting one never heard of that vilka i'll have to ask Chaz of the dead if he's ever heard of it because he's spent a fair amount of time in south america so again thanks for that one trey so this one is also from Trey, and this one just goes to show what JT already knew, that, um, yeah, basically when you don't toe the line in a lot of jobs, you get weeded out. So this is from unexplainedmysteries.com, and it says, Zoologist was sacked for believing in the Loch Ness Monster, from January the 2nd, 2022. New documents have revealed the truth behind the sacking of Dr. Dennis Tucker from London's Natural Muse History Museum. Dr. Tucker has been a highly respected zoologist at the prestigious museum for years, but when he was unceremoniously sacked from his role, so for those of you, for those of you in the U.S. haven't been a part of the British Empire, haven't been around a lot, sack means fired. Sacked from his role as the museum's principal scientific officer in 1960, the precise explanation for his alleged insubordination would remain a topic of speculation for more than 60 years. Now, though, newly released documents have finally confirmed that, despite his impressive academic achievements and reputation, Dr. Tucker had been removed from his position solely for the reason that he believed the Loch Ness Monster was real. Months after his sacking, he wrote about the monster in New Scientist magazine, prompting senior figures at the museum, sorry, this months before his sacking, to express concerns about potential reputational damage. The trustees wish it to be known that they do not approve of the spending of official time or official leave on the so-called Loch Ness Phenomena, a memo issued in 1959 reads. If as a result of the activities of members of the staff the museum is involved in undes undesirable publicity, the trustees will be gravely displeased. Dr. Tucker was ultimately sacked on the basis of continued vexatious, insubordinate, and generally offensive conduct towards the museum's director and other senior staff. In reality, he had simply been attempting to secure funding in an effort to investigate the monster, which is what I thought they did, was things like this. I put the project up to the Natural History Museum. He was quoted as saying at the time, the museum does send out expeditions to collect specimens, but they didn't like the idea of a Loch Ness expedition at all. They refused me leave to lecture on the subject. Since I was sacked, they banned me from the library. I had an international reputation as a zoologist. Now I'm I'm a struck-off lawyer. No shock to me. Um, yeah. There's lots of areas um, in the world that, meaning jobs, that if you discuss these kind of things uh, publicly, you'll everybody will say, oh, well, you could cause us issues because people think you're nuts and everything else. It was that way, apparently. Uh, sorry, it was that way, obviously, about UFOs up until 
the very recent past. And I would still argue there are still plenty of jobs out there that if you talked about UFOs, so let's say if you were a bank manager, oh, no, no, can't talk about UFOs. That's cuckoo. Yeah, we uh, you you need psychiatric help. So, yeah, it, it pisses me off, especially the the idea of a zoologist being interested in the Loch Ness Monster or Yeti or Chupacabra. Hello. It's literally what they do. They're zoologists. They literally study animals. It's like, come on. So, yeah, uh, no shock to me. Um, unfortunately, no justice for this man who I would say is deceased because um, it's 60 years on since he was fired. Uh, pretty pathetic to me. But again, those of you out there who say, oh, show me show me one time where someone has been censured or quote unquote canceled for having a belief system like this. Well, there's one right there. There you go. All right. So next one, also from unexplainedmysteries.com. F-22 scrambled to intercept mystery balloon off Hawaii. Yeah, I love how it's automatically a balloon. The U.S. tactical fighter jets were sent to intercept a suspicious object near Kauai's North Shore. The incident, which took place on February the 14th, Valentine's Day, saw the F-22s intercept what was believed to be some sort of balloon. However, specific details continue to remain thin on the ground. Indo-Pacific Command detected a high-altitude object floating in the air in the vicinity of the Hawaiian Islands. The, adjunct, uh, the adjutant general of Hawaii, Kenneth S. Hara, wrote on Twitter, In accordance with Homeland Security Defense Procedures, Pacific Air Forces launched tactical aircraft to intercept and identify the object, visually confirming an unmanned balloon without observable identification markings. The mystery was compounded by reports of powerful explosion sounds by locals in the area, with an Air Force spokesperson uh, later insisting that the responding aircraft did not destroy the balloon. Sightings of the object posted up on social media indicated a white oblong with two contrails. Someone who works in aviation here on the island received communications that there were F-22s intercepting a UFO, wrote one member of the Kauai Community Facebook group. I wonder what the fighter pilot saw, it being a stationary object. The aviation person told me that the UFO is many miles offshore from Princeville over the ocean. It remained in one spot for at least 40 minutes. The incident in particular is particularly odd because F-22s are not usually scrambled to intercept something as mundane as a balloon, I'd agree. So exactly what the object was remains something of a mystery. It has been speculated it could have been some sort of intelligence-gathering balloon. However, it still remains unclear who might have launched it or why. It is it was being intercepted. As things stand, no definitive explanation for the incident has been found. So I saw this article doing the rounds when it first happened. And um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I also find it interesting that several of the people were saying that it was apparently stationary. Uh, as you would imagine, balloons tend to move with the wind and at altitude, there's always wind. It's not like down at the surface where you might not have any breeze. So yeah, interesting. And in the comments, there's something here that I believe may very well be true. This is by Exo Paul. My money is an unmarked Chinese surveillance balloon, and they probably tracked it coming. No other explanation for why they scrambled multiple F-22s when commercial airlines spot UFOs every day and the military never bothers with them. And if the loud explosion reported was the pilots destroying Chinese hardware over under international waters, if it were that far enough out, they are definitely not going to admit doing it. Makes sense to me. 
Um, yeah, I would not be shocked if it was a Chinese drone balloon camera rig or something like that, or or a, what do they call it? I can't think of the proper term, but you know, basically a microphone in the atmosphere would not shock me at all. Yeah, and uh, as we're ramping up to uh, who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah, no shock there. So again, Trey, thanks for sending me that. And yes. Again, just because I lambast countries for being warlike doesn't mean I don't think that countries have a right to defend themselves. And uh, I've got no issue with the U.S. having a defensive force. My issue is with the U.S. having 450-some bases all over the world and basically poking other countries into goading them into conflicts. Oftentimes, um, yeah, it just really annoys me there are much better things that the u.s taxpayer dollars could be used for right so next one and last one thank you very much trey for all of these made my week much easier this is from live science and this is from 29 days ago so would have been around yeah mid well first week of february man hallucinates and here's god while on antibiotics what happened and this is from john arnst the man had a rare case of anti antibiomania. A man's perception of the world turned upside down after he began taking antibiotics to treat bacterial pneumonia, according to a report of his case. Within two days, the 50-year-old man, who had no psychiatric history and had never taken antibiotics in his entire life before that point, experienced mood swings, became irritable, and began speaking incoherently. Speaking in tongues, anyone? Such behaviors are symptoms of mania, a condition characterized by an abnormally high level of energy and erratic thoughts and behaviors. Upon being checked into an emergency psychiatric unit in Geneva, the man told psychiatrists that the night after his first dose of antibiotics, he felt like he was dying and began experiencing auditory hallucinations that God was speaking to him, saying that he had been chosen for a special mission. These symptoms can be in indicative of psychosis. Doctors diagnosed the man with antibiomania, a rare side effect of treatment with antibiotics. According to the case report published in the journal of BMC Psychiatry in August 2021, the term antibiomania was coined in a 2002 review published in the journal of clinical uh, Psy psychopharmacology. Psychopharmacology, there we go, that examined case studies involving antibiotic-related mania. According to Pascal Sinert, a psychologist and psychiatrist at Catholic University of Leuven, KU Leuven in Belgium, who was not involved in the case report or the man's care, the timeline of the man's antibiotic intake and subsequent manic symptoms fits with reported cases of antibiomania. In a review of antibiomania case studies published in 2017 in the Journal of Affective Disorders, uh, Sinert and his colleagues covered 37 case reports, collectively describing 47 cases of antibiomania in patients as young as 3 years old, and another 143 published cases documented by the Adverse Drug Reaction Monitoring Programs of the World Health Organization and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I have seen in my own experience at least three cases, one with repeated episodes, Sinert told Live Science. My colleagues, they all have had some cases. 
So if you add up these numbers worldwide, there's certainly an underreport of cases. Sinert and his colleagues found that uh, clarithromycin, one of the antibiotics doctors prescribed to the man in the case report, is one of the most commonly implicated antibiotics in antibiomania in antibiomania cases, along with the quinolone antibiotics ciprofloxacin and offloxacin. Yeah, ooh, good thing I'm not a pharmacist, my friends. And I don't think I've ever had any of those off the top of my head. They were the most frequently implicated in causing mania, but they are amongst the antibiotics that are most used worldwide, Sinert said. My guess is that these antibiotics are the most used worldwide, and therefore we see more cases with these antibiotics associated with antibiomania. The researchers also noted that antipsychotics were used to treat some of these cases. In the majority of the cases, these anti-manic agents were used, Sinert said. But again, that doesn't mean that the manic episodes wouldn't have improved without them. It is common practice. If you see a mania emerging, that you use an anti-maniac agent to get the mania over as soon as possible. Makes sense to me, because when people get manic, they do all sorts of things. While the, while the man in Geneva ultimately did not end up needing antipsychotics, doctors did prescribe him Lorzepam. Yeah, I know what that is. A medication used to treat anxiety and seizures. Seizures. The man's... <laughs> not Julius Caesar's, my friend, seizures. The man's case illustrates that different kinds of antibiotics can trigger antibiomania. Initially, the man's manic symptoms emerged after he took the antibiotic amoxicillin uh, clavulonic acid. So amoxicillin I've had. Once he ceased treatment, the mania symptoms stopped. However, when he started taking another antibiotic to treat the pneumonia, the mania symptoms returned, prompting him to stop antibiotic treatment again. Now, I can't blame him. A week after stopping antibiotics, the man no longer had manic symptoms. While the exact mechanism of interaction between antibiotics and the central nervous system, which includes the brain, remains unknown, Sinert and his colleagues laid out several hypotheses in their review. For instance, a few classes of antibiotics, including macrolides like uh, clarithromycin and beta-lactams like amoxicillin, have been found to affect the brain's GABAergic so G-A-B-A-E-R-G-I-C system. The antibiotics act as an inhibitor of gamma amethrobic acid, G-A-B-A. Boy, I'll tell you what, Trey, you're just trying to have fun with me sending me these uh, articles, eh? See how much of a hillbilly I am. A ubiquitous neurotransmitter that is responsible for tamping down excited neurons. That might explain why in these circumstances mania arises, Sinert said. By inhibiting or inhibitory neurotransmitter that results in ex excitatory function. Additional mechanisms proposed in Sinert's review include the ability of antibiotics to disrupt patients' gut microbiomes and cause dysfunction in mitochondria, which powers cells. The authors of the case study also hypothesized that a drug-drug interaction between the two uh, sorry, I, instead of reading them again, between the two antibiotics may have occurred due to their shared activity at the GABA receptors. So again, interesting, and I'd never actually heard of that. So yeah, fascinating little one there. Thanks for that trait. I'd never heard of this um, disorder. Interesting. And I was just having a bit of chuckle because down the bottom here where they got some articles, I'll save this for next time, but it says, 
Man dies after drinking equivalent of 200 cups of coffee. Um, I've had a cup of coffee today, folks. I generally drink mine pretty strong, but I don't think I would ever get quite that close to the danger zone, so to speak. So, my friends, that's the news of the damned for the 6th of March. I hope that you enjoyed it. I'm going to get this very quickly edited and up, and then I'm going to go and spend some time with young William because it's about midnight here and he is getting a bit agitated that I keep coming and going. So much love to all of you. Stay safe. To the listeners that I've had in the Ukraine, definitely stay safe. And everyone else around the world, definitely stay safe. Take care, all of you, and I will talk to you very soon. I would like to say Wednesday. Take care.